G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round two review edition. And isn't it great that we've got a review edition? The uh, first one obviously back in late March. What a layoff it's been. But footy's back and uh, pretty interesting round. A uh, couple of uh, major upsets, I think it's fair to say. A uh, couple of thrillers and a uh, couple of blowouts, differing standards of play. Plenty to talk about. As I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? Yeah, I'm well. It was a long time coming, but as far as interesting results go and as far as uh, a few apple carts being upset, you couldn't have asked for any more. It sort of evened up the competition a little bit with two of the... Uh, popular elects for top four in GWS and West Coast having real, especially given the short seasons, given something to really think about in round two. Absolutely. And we're going to get straight into it. But before we do, I'd like you to talk about a couple of popular elects who never underperform. Well, they beautifully said, no upsets here. Andrews Hamburgers at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Well, they weren't uh, a surprise defeat. They are always a win, those magnificent hamburgers. And as we roll into winter, isn't Sunday night burger night? You just, a beautiful burger on Sunday night, especially after your team wins. I don't think you can beat it. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrews Hamburgers. The best burger to celebrate with or commiserate yourself with. Either way, anyway, doesn't matter because they're great burgers. I'll tell you what, every, it's not just every Sunday night. Every night is the right night to live in a beautifully refurbished home, That's it. Actually, every night's a perfect night for an Andrews burger. And uh, Dyson Heppel, he'd be pretty happy this weekend because he goes back he to would. his beautiful West Point Properties home built by Nick Spartels. Scott Pendlebury, not as happy, but not completely upset. He'd go back to his house, built by Nick Spartels of West Point Properties. And Mike Sheehan, he's always happy. He's also in a beautiful, and I mean beautiful, property built by West Point. Nick Spartels, there you go. All right, beautiful plugs. We've got a heap to get through. Let's get into our second wraparound of 2020. On Footyology, wraparound. All right, let's kick it off. Seems a long time ago now, but last Thursday night at the MCG, a lot of hype leading up to this game, of course, after such a long layoff. I'd like to say it didn't fail to disappoint, but, uh, well, it did, really, in terms of the standard. Certainly in terms of uh, closeness, it didn't disappoint. You can't get any closer than a draw. So Collingwood and Richmond, 5-6, 36 each. Uh, Collingwood, four goals in that first quarter and uh, had the Tigers in all sorts of trouble. I think everyone was rightly thinking, oh, the Pies just might be the Tigers' bogey team. They've done it before. And it wasn't to be. Richmond worked their way back into the game nicely with three goals in the second term. And then an absolute scrap of a second half. Just two goals kicked 
for the entire second half. No goals kicked in the final quarter. And uh, a near thing um, for the Tigers at the end there uh, with a, a mark that uh, could have been taken perhaps by a young pie and uh, didn't happen. Uh, Siren went first draw of the season, 5-6-36, each of two, as Peter Landy would say. Uh, three goals to uh, two goals to Phillips for the um, Pies and three to Tom Lynch for the Tigers. Pretty ordinary game, though, Finey. You know what? The game on first viewing, as I sort of uh, quickly left watching the game for Footyology Final Siren, I didn't like it at all. You know, 5 6 is not a scoreline that you want to see at full time except for the old Little League. But, and this sometimes happens, but there has been such a gorging on this game in terms of vilification. Everybody's stuck their boots in and it's been used as the sort of poster boy for terrible football. And I guess everybody says starved a footy on that Thursday night, was desperate for something better. But because of all this hate for the game, I'm, I'm just going to back off a little bit. Know this, both those teams as much as they didn't hit the scoreboard, still played their own brands of footy. Collingwood, a great possession game, making it very hard for Richmond to get the ball. And Richmond, in turn, that high-pressure game, making it very hard to turn possession into scoreboard results. So for all the other 16 teams, don't think for a minute that these are two teams that are rusty and uh, would have been subject to a beating at their hands because they still played the sort of football that has consistently beaten the other 16 teams. Yeah, true. Uh, a lot of missed targets, which I think is always a good indicator that the skills are rusty. I think Damien Hardwick made a few comments about the rustiness himself. Also, everyone out there did say it was a particularly bad night for dew. A lot of dew out on the ground, which slippery conditions are about the hardest thing to play in. So that didn't help either. And now, despite the standard, we still think these are... Uh, two of the three or four front-running teams for this season. I uh, certainly haven't seen anything to think otherwise. Absolutely. Neither of them capitulated. And let's face it, these two teams, Richmond in particular, of course, have the track record. <laughs> Collingwood have been a very good finals team in recent years. And it's the fact that they both were able to play the game out pretty desperately in search of four points, only getting two, that doesn't have me backing off at all. Look, there were some good performances on both sides. Isn't Scott Pendlebury a marvel? This was a game, as you say, skills were down, but not when he had the ball in his hands. Uh, very quick one. Now, my elderly memory is failing me. Who was the young Collingwood player and the mark at the end, spoiled by Nick Foston? Was it Callum Brown? Uh, number 17, so Callum Brown. Yeah, um, could he have gone a bit harder for that? Yeah, but at that point, the players were out on their feet. That dewy yeah. surface, it's not only a little bit heavier. First of all, it's sort of a big empty MCG. is a lot of ground to cover. You saw that with Rewalt's kick falling short. But the dewy conditions mean you're sliding, slipping over, a lot of missteps. And, mm. hey, guys were barely getting their boot to the ball at the end. So it's easy to say, hey, Callum, you should have got that mark. But walk a mile in his boots, or more, more aptly, cramp a mile in his boots, and I think you'll know why he didn't get there. And he certainly played his part before that. No, uh, two points better than none, as they say. All right, that's enough on that game. Let's, as Steppenwolf said in Born to be Wild, 
head on down the highway finally. Okay, well, GMHBA Stadium, Geelong hosting Hawthorne. First time since 2006 uh, when the Hawks were able to pinch a win down there. I remember that game. I covered that game. Uh, a lot has changed in the uh, 14 years since then. Um, and on this occasion, the results certainly changed because Geelong, yes, they had the home ground advantage, but they were terrific in beating up on the Hawks after... A very even first half. I mean, the first quarter was great standard footy. Really enjoyed that, 5-2 to 4-1. Um, bit of a grind thereafter in the second term, but uh, only seven points of difference at halftime. But after halftime, did Geelong just blow them away? Ten goals to one in the second half for a 61-point win. Three goals to Grind Myers, two to Ablett, Dowhouse, Stanley, Atkins, Menegola. And a total of 10 individual goal kickers for them. Gunston, too, the only multiple for the Hawks. And all the Cats' big names were absolutely on fire. Selwood played, I mean, he's played some great games. But that one would be up there among the best dozen, I'd suggest. He was terrific. Um, they got really important contributions from Parfit, particularly early, and Reece Stanley in the ruck. Thought Ablett was back to the seamless Gary Ablett, every touch causing damage. Dangerfield really worked his way into the game after a quiet start and uh, thought Tom Stewart pretty good down back. And Hawthorne really struggled and absolutely taken apart in midfield where, apart from Mitchell, they didn't really have a lot to offer. What say you? Well, we discussed the game, obviously, on Footyology Final Siren, and I'm now even more convinced that Hawthorne's paucity of quality midfielders is going to really haunt them through this season. Forget shorter quarters, forget shorter season. You need eight midfielders to take the field, basically. You need your f- sort of three or four set-up midfielders, and then you've got to be able to rotate them with guys that basically don't miss a beat when they go in the middle. And, you, of course, Jager O'Meara didn't play, but you, you're done counting Hawthorne's midfielders on one hand. They've got a couple of genuine wingers. Isaac Smith is a genuine winger, not... A midfielder, he adds to the mix. Um, Henderson is a wing player. They're not players who can run through the middle. So we look at Ollie Hanrahan, but you know he's got a long way to go in his development. And then they start clutching a bit at straws. The other thing that has no rhyme or reason is playing McAvoy at centre half back. He's never shown hmm. himself to be particularly mobile. He's always looked like a ruckman, ruckman, ruckman. And you know what? If you put a ruckman forward and he doesn't have a good game. Well, that's bad, but I reckon if you put them back and they have a bad game, that's a lot worse because it becomes a it becomes a weakness that is preyed upon. And Geelong at the fall of the ball looked very strong in their forward line. Yeah, McAvoy did that role towards the end of last year with a, a bit of success, but uh, yeah, it was almost sort of getting too smart by half, really. The other, it's too early to call it an elephant in the room. That would be grossly unfair. But I, I just wonder, you know, if... Jonathan Patton puts together a few poor games in a row, whether he's going to sort of become the popular whipping boy in terms of, geez, you know, this guy, big performer, he's not getting a kick. Because he, I've got to say, the game changes quickly and his relative lack of mobility, I think, is making him look in some ways like a bit of an anachronism. Yeah, and he kept out a guy that I think a lot of Hawthorne supporters have been very pleased to see develop, the beautifully named for a Hawthorne player, Mitchell Lewis, or Mitchell Lewis. There's a big kid that has done everything you could ask, given that a, a big man's development is slower than a, uh, an on-ballers, to 
be forced to take a back seat at the start of this season to John Patton is for some Hawthorne supporters who love the way they can develop talent at that club a, a step too far, bridge too far. And it's a, a one that Jonathan Patton can only win over those supporters by getting goals. And he, he took a backward step on Friday night, didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as you rightly pointed out on Footyology Final Sign, the uh, biggest plus perhaps about that Geelong performance, you've still got one Jack Stephen to come back into the lineup. So, would you bring him really back this promising week? Signs for him. Oh, I would. He'd always be my best 22. Hard to uh, drop someone's someone. Gonna be, yeah. yeah, well, someone's going to be very stiff to um, miss out, but that's a great problem to have. Of course it is. All right. Uh, so, Cats and the Hawks both 1 1 now. Um, reversing their round one respective results. All right, that's it from the category. Let's head up to the Gabba. Well, a really entertaining game, this one, Fawny, and uh, a lot of eyes on Brisbane, um, of course, being the you know the bright young things of season 2019. Very disappointing in that round one loss to Hawthorne. You know, they had a couple of months to work things out. Had they done it? Well, they got the chocolates, but not without one hell of a fight from a very plucky free medal. 12 9 81, the Lions, 12 point victors over the Dockers, 10 9 69. Uh, great performance from Charlie Cameron with four goals. He was absolutely on fire early. Lockie Neal, outstanding for the Lions against his old side. And uh, the biggest names of the Dockers stood up too. Nat Fife, terrific um, with three goals and in midfield, uh, very prominent midfield. Matt Taberner showed some good signs, but Michael Walters, a couple of critical late goals to give his side a sniff. I'll tell you what, look, Freo are zero and two, but were it not for a couple of fairly tardy starts, they could actually be two and zip. Narrow defeats against now Essendon and Brisbane. And I'm pretty impressed with what I've seen from Justin Longmuir's side uh, so far. Yeah, from his side or from Fife and Walters? In both games, Fife and Walters lit the fuse and it almost ended up in exploding in their opponent's face. They they really grabbed both games by the scruff of the neck after those slow starts and almost won it for them. I said in the my tipping of Brisbane that it's pretty easy to coach against Fremantle, stop Fife, stop Walters. Well, actually, it's a very hard thing to do because they're that good. Uh, plenty of homework was put into them, but you still couldn't stop them. Other players for Fremantle, look, uh, I think Brett Bewley shows something. I loved his disposal a couple of times under pressure. I, I was quite impressed by him. They they just need a little bit more out of uh, coming out of the back line, except for Luke Ryan, who's, I think, a very very accomplished backman. They, their exit out of the back line is not anywhere near as decisive as other teams. As for Brisbane, well, they've got no problems with Cameron, Neil, Andrews, so their stars are going well. I think one of their big problems is in the ruck. Stefan Martin got a bit banged up uh, at the start of the season. They're continuing on with him, but that's they got away. They really dodged a bullet when Sean Darcy went off injured, didn't they? Because if Sean Darcy yeah. didn't go off injured, that could have been exploitable. And I do want to mention a player for Brisbane. He he could have been the hero. I think still think he he was in a way. Tom Berry playing his first game. Oh yeah, took a magnificent mark with the flight of the ball that would have sealed the game. Doesn't matter. They won anyhow. But that was not a cameo. That was not the only thing he did. He was very good. And I know all talk on the weekend is going to be about the Gold Coast 
top two draft picks. But this kid, Tom Berry, is a is a very good player. Oh, was, that was uh, – I mean, it was uh, – actually, it reminded me of um, Blake Carousella, one of his first games for Essendon back in 1997, took a similar sort of mark to that. Um, very good. Yeah, had courage written all over it. He's clearly going to be a very good pickup. So uh, the Dockers zero and two, but perhaps a bit stiff to be zero and yep. two. Brisbane now finally on the scoreboard. Oh, Robert, Robert we do on. have to mention that terrible decision by Dean Margetts at the start of the last quarter. Cause, oh, the tab and a mark. Yeah, because yeah, we, we know, we know, especially with those shorter quarters, if you're 20 points down, and a lot of teams are sort of saying, look, we're 20 points up. We can almost ride this quarter out. So you do have to hit the scoreboard early. That was 15 seconds into the quarter. If you haven't seen it, you probably didn't follow this weekend's football because it was much talked about. I'd actually, he's a very good umpire, Dean Margetts, and a senior umpire. He should be dropped for that. I'm sorry. He has cost Fremantle not only a realistic chance of winning that game, but the season is shortened. Frio suffered because of that, and Dean should have to spend a week not umpiring. I was a mark every day of the week and then some. All right, uh, so Brisbane on the scoreboard. Uh, let's head back to Melbourne to Marvel Stadium. All right, well, how's this for a game of two halves? What a bizarre game this was. And a thriller in the finish. Melbourne getting home against Carlton by one behind. Eight goals, six, 54, defeating the Blues, seven, 11, 53. Uh, how far in front did Melbourne get? They were actually six, nearly seven goals up, weren't they? Carlton was scoreless at quarter time. Yeah, they still seven four. Correct. And, seven goals to still seven four. Yeah, seven four to two five. Carlton got the last two of that first half, and that proved to be a bit of a um, indicator of what was to come because they absolutely dominated the second half in terms of play. Demons could only add one solitary goal in the second half. And the Blues had their chances, didn't they? 7-11, they will rue a few missed opportunities towards the end. All single goal kickers for them. Jaden Hunt, three for the Demons, popped up with uh, a few specials. Neil Bullen and Petrarca, two. Now, Petrarca for the Demons thought he played a terrific game for them. Max Gorn, great in the ruck. Oliver, Salem. And uh, they'd be really happy with the game of recruit um, Ed Langdon as well. As for the Blues, well, uh, some of the old hands to them, Murphy, Doherty, pretty conspicuous, Wietering, pretty good down back, uh, Petrovsky, Seaton, not bad, McGovern had his moments, I thought, and unfortunately, some shocking, gee, they can't take a trick on the injury front, the Blues, Nick Newman, seriously injured, and it's been uh, uh, confirmed today, he has a ruptured patella, and he will miss the rest of this season, and he was a pretty good player for them last year, so shocking luck for the Blues. Yeah, I tell you what, I don't like that. I know we we work off the best players from the AF, official AFL website. Uh, I don't like that list at all, mate. First of all, Doherty I thought was poor. I don't think his ball use was anywhere near as good as Doherty's can be. Now I know Patrick Cripps was kept out of the game for the second quarter and part of the third quarter, but he was so good in that last quarter. He took two magnificent marks, missed the first shot of goal. The second shot of goal was the one that drew scores level. What a champ that bloke is, because it's a sign of a champion when you're down to find something from the, from the, you know, look into the old emotional kit bag and see if you can pull out something called character, and he did. 
I thought Max Gorn was very poor as captain in that second half. He had annihilated Pitonet to half time. It was master versus pupil. You know what? Pitonet broke even in, for the game. He was really good in the second half. And Max Gorn almost became symptomatic of the nervousness of Melbourne. And he's. He's a lack of willingness to kick the ball forward in that last quarter had them as sitting ducks. They were they were really sitting there waiting to get run over by Carlton. And unfortunately, Max, well, he'll learn in, in his role as captain that you take the game by the scruff of the neck. You don't you don't shrink and hide. He's got a bit of a record in tight finishes of not uh, being the man for the moment. And I think he I well, think he missed somebody, that he missed that shot against Geelong. Yeah. In I missed the first tw- game a couple of years ago. Yeah, twice he's missed shots. I can't remember the other, but there have been two times. Look, he's a very good player. He should have put Pitney to the sword and ended the game there and then because his ruck work was that good in the first quarter. It was savage. But from Carlton's perspective, I'll say, I'll say one thing about Carlton. Mitch, Mitch McGovern got his halves mixed up because normally he goes missing in the second half. He played like a busted ass in the first half, and he was very good in the second half, and he was part of the reason they fought back. Now, incidentally, just on those bests, you're more than welcome to phone through your own best, but uh, I'm compiling these things, and I don't have a lot of time to spare. So uh, No, 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 no I'm, saying, that... I'm, I'm happy for us to analyse the AFL's website's best because that's what people have access to. But Yeah, that actually... Well, well, there's one game tonight. I think I've used my own best. So, oh well, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 I'll bet you, you I'll be able to pick it because well. that makes sense. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on and head up to Metricon Stadium. All right. Well, this one is going to take some topping for upset of the season. Although, actually, who knows? Maybe in a few weeks from now, we'll be saying, "Oh, yeah. Well, they're a huge improver." That would be a major surprise, and they have had a tendency, certainly over the last two years, to start the season very well. I think three wins out of four last year and three wins out of five the year before. But we're talking, of course, about Gold Coast, and they had, in the end, a thumping win over West Coast, 44-point victors, 14-6-90, defeating a very, very shabby West Coast, 6-10-46, only one goal for the Eagles in the second half, who were in touch at half time, but uh, just never looked like it in the second half. And the uh, enthusiastic and youthful Suns lineup ran right over the top of them just to compound the misery for the Eagles. Uh, Jeremy McGovern suspended by the match review officer for one game for a little. Uh, it wasn't little, it was quite power packed, but uh, you had to be quick to see it. A hit to the cheekbone of the Suns, Alex Sexton. That was a, uh, that was a, sneaky, a sneaky little one, wasn't it? Yeah, well, hence the value of video. It certainly picked it up and it got him flush on the cheek. And I'll say this, uh, that, that that's the problem of covering these games remotely for the TV, etc. You know, when you're at the ground, you get more of a sense. You know, players come off with an injured cheekbone and that, that, there would have been some hubbub. They're completely, you know, completely went through to the keeper as far as the broadcast was concerned. Ah, uh, yes. Well, that wasn't the only occasion on the weekend. I'll make sure I make a note of the other one that happened today. But the Gold Coast kids looking terrific. Uh, Matt Rowell, two goals to him. And uh, he had to be best on ground in this game. In fact, a lot of people saying he will get the three Brownlow votes. 
very impressive indeed. Sam Day, good for the Suns too. Uh, good up forward with a couple of goals. Ben Ainsworth, a couple to him. Um, Jack Bowes, pretty good for the Suns as well. So uh, some more established players for them playing well. Took Miller was good for them. Uh, uh, Lockie Weller, good for them. So experienced and the young, both firing for the Suns. And, uh, geez, hard to find too many winners at all for the Eagles and their only multiple goal kicker was Oscar Allen. Um, yeah, well, they're one-on-one one now, but, uh, gee, their record against uh, up there in Queensland is pretty bloody ordinary for any. They don't like that venue at all. Which makes the hub not all that attractive place to be. You can only say this about the West Coast Eagles, that they will, and you can afford any very good team, even premiership team, a, you know, a miss, a night, where they just do not play anywhere near to their ability. Because if they do that again, then there's a real problem. I, therefore, I don't want to be shooting players who we know are decent footballers, but some of them really need to have a look at themselves and the effort they put in. I'll name them. I, I thought Cripps was terrible in terms of effort. I thought that the defensive work of... They've got McGovern there and Barras, but the, there was no run. There was no. Where was Yo? He he normally is the the sort of the pee in the pot, isn't he? That he can come through back line, forward line, even in the midfield, and I, he was just not present. You know, not accounted for. And unfortunately, except for really Shannon Hearn, who I thought played a very a decent game of football, um, and. I don't blame the key forwards. They had no opportunity. Nat, nu- Nat Nui and Hearn, and no one else, I think, uh, to recommend them, to, to you know, that you'd give a pass mark to. All right. Well, uh, just for the record, the uh, AFL best were Shuey, Gaff, Kelly, and Nat Nui. Yeah, that's rubbish. Didn't you, yeah, think, Hearn okay. pla- didn't you think Hearn played well? Oh, look, I was watching mostly the Adelaide Port okay. game, so uh, I only saw flashes Ke- of it. Kelly was good early. One to you. True, Kelly was Who good was early. Who was that? Kelly was oh, good yeah. early. Okay. Yep. All right, well, a uh, fair bit of work to do for the Eagles after that ordinary performance, and they'll be doing it without their best defender, All-Australian defender, Jeremy McGovern, out suspended. Yeah. All right, let's, let's head to Adelaide for the showdown. Okay, well, always plenty of hype around this game. And uh, we did both in our preview tip Port Adelaide pretty comfortably, and that's certainly the way it transpired. Actually, I think the highlight for me finally was having a real football crowd. It was only 2,200, but the noise they made was very impressive, and I will be uh, touching on that in my rant a little bit later in this show. Crows certainly got off to a decent start, but uh, Port were couple of goals up already by quarter time. And from there, it was just a demolition, really. Four goals to one in the second term. So 32 points up at half time, Six goals to one in the third term. And then another three to one in the last for a thumping 65-point win. And weren't their kids impressive? Dersma, three goals to Dersma, three to Dixon, three to Westhoff, two to Marshall, two to Motlop. Connor Rosie, outstanding for the power, who looked, as always, fantastic in the prison bar strip. I love that strip. It's so, such a shame they can't wear that every week. Personally, I see no reason why they can't, but uh, we won't go into the politics of that one. 
Uh, Motlop, very impressive. Dersma, like we said. Burn Jones, who's a seriously good and underrated player for them. And our favourite finey, or not we Willem, but everyone knows it's... Butters. Played very well, he didn't he? Impressive as well. And for the Crows, oh, very thin on the ground there. Only single goal kickers. Um, who had a dip for them? O'Brien. Crouch Brothers got their usual swag of touches without necessarily doing enough damage. Talia battled on well. Um, but uh, more worries for Adelaide out of this game too. Uh, skipper Rory Sloan with a corked thigh. So, um, yeah, they could be in for a longish season, Adelaide. Zero and two already, having lost to the Swans in round one. And Port, uh, pretty impressive thus far. I can't think of a tougher contract for a new coach after such a short period of time than what is facing Matthew Nix because we know uh, in that two-team town parochial support for one or the other and spotlight fairly and squarely is on any coach of either outfit now he has inherited a team with issues stepping back it seems as far as long as the team's been playing in the competition, they want to rehash old stuff up there. So it's just a very tough road to hoe for Matthew Nixon. The problem is it's just not a supporter group you can ask for patience, is it? They seem to want things and they want them fairly quickly. So I don't know. Where do, Do you where... reckon that would be the case now? I reckon they surely they have to have observed that this is a side undergoing a serious transformation. Yeah, they'll, they'll know that. They will understand that this team has to, in some form, bottom out before they uh, can start to climb up the ladder. And with all of that intelligence locked away, they will be baying for his blood within weeks because it doesn't seem to make a difference. In both WA and South Australia, if the other team's winning especially, they the supporters of a team that is down of those four teams... He just can't stand, you know, the the day-to-day rigours of barracking for a team that's near the bottom of the ladder, especially if their cross-town rivals are going all right. They they understand football, but they don't, for some reason, translate that into any any um, tolerance or any allowing any um, room for room to move for their coaches. There's they give them no quarter. I tell you. Yeah, look, it's um, I, I, you know, look, Matthew Nix, nice guy. Think uh, a long and uh, very effective apprenticeship as an assistant. It's going to take time, and and seriously, if their supporter base, and I agree with you, they are sort of famously impatient. But you know, bugger them. They've just got this Adelaide administration has to hold its nerve and back the guy they've appointed to uh, build a new era. And I think they will. Um, and, look, they've got some decent young players, but uh, certainly not any of them or their senior players really delivered much on Saturday night. Thoroughly disappointing performance for them. OK, that uh, was Saturday's action. Time now to talk about Sunday. All right, well, talking turn-ups, uh, and I, the coach of the Vic- Victoria's team said this wasn't a turn-up, which... Is uh, it's a nice thing to say. Actually, it shows he's got confidence in his men. But I think it's fair to say most people thought that GWS would be reasonably comfortable winners over North Melbourne, being 
coming fresh off a grand final appearance and North um, not having fared that well last year and replaced their coach midway through the year. But the Roos, as they were in round one, very, very impressive. Uh, really strong defensively too. They have clearly done a power of work in their defensive mechanisms and their uh, ethos of contested ball and, dare I say it, shin bone of spirit. Um, and uh, a real, you know, not a, not a great game to watch by any means. Two goals, six each at half time in fine conditions. But that was a, a tribute to North's commitment to do the right thing defensively. And, and it rattled GWS. You could see them become more and more frustrated, I thought. Still anyone's game at the last change, less than a kick in it. But North just went away with it in the end. And even, uh, in fact, midway through the last quarter, I thought, oh, West, uh, GWS will do something and save the day. And they got Himmel, Cameron and Himmelberg got the first couple of goals the last quarter, brought it back to two points. And then North just kicked again. Taron Thomas, Cameron Zerhar and Jared Pollock, a lovely goal on the run to make it 20 points. Himmelberg got one back, but then Zeebel closed it out, 20 points north. And uh, in the end, a really, really good win to them, 12-8-80, defeating GWS 8-12-60. Uh, three to Zerhar, two to Thomas. Uh, for the Giants, two each to Finlayson, Perryman, Himmelberg. And I uh, mentioned Pollock. Zerhar's been a great, tough uh, addition to this north lineup. I thought Trent Dumont was pretty good as well. Sean Atley played a good game. Todd Goldstein, Goldie, kicked a beautiful goal from a, a ruck contest, a beautiful snap on his left foot. And Sean Higgins, who uh, GWS were all set to do a number on, he really slipped their clutches and arguably, I thought, the best player on the ground. Um, for the Giants, uh, yeah, pretty ineffective up forward. Callum Ward, certainly good for them. Good to see him back playing decent footy. Whitfield, OK. Cornelio, OK. Uh, Jai Caldwell. Not bad, but uh, a long way off their best today, the Giants. And uh, who knows, in the 17-game season, that might end up being a very costly slip-up for them finally. Yeah, this was a game that uh, started, as you say, slowly. A goal each at quarter time, two goals each at half time. And after what was a pretty turgid first quarter, in which GWS certainly had most of the play, no question about it. But North Melbourne's defenders stuck to their guns and their key defenders were doing a particularly good job. Tarrant was um, uh, doing a really good job on the now interesting-looking Jeremy Cameron with his moustache, quite rightly compared yeah. to Freddie Mercury, the late lead singer of Queen. The, um, for me, best defensive job was uh, McDonald on Toby Green. He's a brilliant player, Toby Green, very... Hard player to quell, both aerially and on the ground. McDonald was up for the challenge. And they were getting some run out of the back line with McMillan and the much maligned, but very serviceable on this occasion, Aaron Hall. I thought he played well. Todd Goldstein really dominated Sam Jacobs. I think that's where the win started. Uh, they put DeBoer onto Cunnington, and that worked. But that, as you said, meant that Higgins was spared the best of taggers, and he took advantage of that. I, like you, like many footy fans, love Zerha because he looks like a suburban footballer that somebody's plonked at full forward, and nobody has told that suburban footballer that you're playing on the best defenders in Australia. He's still, you know, going to try and kick around the corner and muscle and, you know, probably used to kicking 13 goals down at Oak Park or something, but 
let me tell you, a couple of goals against GWS is just as valuable, especially because of the contest he provides. Pollock was very good. I like I Jai Simpkins' game. So for North Melbourne, much to like. For GWS, you just felt that at some point they'd, all these stars would click. I really thought that. So I give credit to North, and I'm not panicking on behalf of GWS, but North have shown the blueprint again that really tough contested ball might not be what GWS enjoy because they could never play that expansive coast-to-coast footy. Yeah, no, uh, two very quick observations. I'm really impressed with um, Reece Shaw's coaching today and I, you just see how effectively he's drilled his ethos into his players already. And uh, second thing, their recruiting of senior players, I think, has been fantastic. Pollock, I reckon, has been great for them. Aaron Hall may still come good. It was always a a gamble. But I love Jasper Pittard. I reckon he's been great for North. And uh, they consistently, when they target senior players from other clubs, get it right. So uh, good job, North recruiting staff. Good win to the Roos. All right, let's head over to the other side of Sydney, uh, to the SCG and what was another thriller. Oh, well, finey. As you could imagine, I uh, nearly had a few kittens over this one. I think most Essendon supporters sort of thought, oh, here we go. Again, we're going to lead all day against Sydney at the SCG and get nutted right on the bell. But they hung on the Bombers, uh, and in the end, a really good win. Led all day, six points in the finish, 12-7-79 to the Swans, 11-7-73. Three to Stringer, three to McKernan. Two to McDonald, Tip and Woody, both kicked early and uh, pretty important in the finish for the Swans. Three to Papley and Taylor, no key forwards to speak of. They were always going to be up against it in that regard. But uh, given those disadvantages, I thought they fought it out really well, particularly after being jumped by the Bombers at the start. And uh, they appeared to... Oh, you would have had your money on them, I reckon, going into that last quarter because Essendon appeared to be really starting to tire. But they got a second wind and... Two guys in particular, finally, have to single them out. Darcy Parrish, who'd been left languishing on a half-forward flank, and this is an ongoing frustration for Essendon fans. Get him in the middle more often, boys. But uh, they had a big rotation of mids going through there today. He was left until the last quarter to do his thing, and he did it superbly. Ended up with 17 disposals, finally, 13 of them in the last quarter including the match ceiling goal. A couple of big clearances out of that middle. Can I guess the other one? Yep. Will Langford. Not Will Langford. He played for Hawthorne. He's retired. Yeah, he played for Hawthorne, didn't he? Uh, Your Langford. Uh, No, he was good. I thought he was great in the last quarter. Yeah, apart from that shot of goal that went out before. No, he was good. But Zach Merritt in the last quarter, superb. And he had 12 touches as well. Yeah. Look, he was he was probably Essendon's most consistent player all day. But they had other guys chipping in on important moments, like Stringer early with his three goals. Sean McKernan, massive goal to him at the start of the last quarter. And uh, they gutsed it out and uh, they hung on. And now Essendon, two and zip, both victories achieved by six points and they may prove very critical in the final wash-up. thought it was a... Uh, a really good win for them in the finish. And uh, hats off to Sydney, though, because I didn't think they were going to be much shop this year. And, look, maybe they won't be, but an undermanned Sydney, I thought, was pretty damn gallant today. How do you see it? I reckon I'd 
wouldn't I don't have to interview John Longmire to know that that would be in the top five, maybe three most uh, most exasperating, frustrating games he's coached because after being led to the ball in the first quarter, no question, Essendon were by far the better team. Uh, the Swans had won the balance of power in terms of disposals at stoppages. They started to get on top around the ground and they had more inside 50s. They just found consistently frustrating ways to shoot themselves in the foot. But for that, Essendon have to be given credit. Look, they in the, in the start of the th- uh, third quarter, McKernan, who'd been unsighted, was sort of propelled into the game by an error by Alir Alir. The ball got over the back, and uh, he kicked another goal on the back of a terrible clearing kick by a swan who scuffed, yeah, scuffed the ball to Tyler. him. Yeah, terrible. Uh, uh, these are frustrating moments for John Longmire, Dean Cox and uh, McVeigh sitting up in the box. But for Essendon, it was testimony to their persistence. They had they had some players that barely fired a shot. I mean, David Zaharakis might have a new hairdo, but he needs... Uh, I've got a feeling, well, there's no VFL. He's, he's not going to have much of a place to show that hairdo off because he'll have to get omitted on the back of that game. Well, the... Yeah, and the other guy who I reckon, geez, Andrew Phillips has got to be close to getting. Yeah, well, I was going to say, Bell Chambers was soundly beaten. Guelphie was barely sighted, and of course, Parrish for three quarters not sighted. I was wondering whether that not might not have been an intentional tactic, though, by Worsfold, who watched a lot. No, no, it was no. That's that's what I'm talking about. But yeah. I think he is such a good clearance winner. He has to be in the mix more regularly than he is. He should be a higher priority than other mids who get more time in there than he does, in thought, my view. I thought McGrath played really well. Um, Dylan Shiel, if he's kicking matched every other part of his game, he'd win a Brownlow medal, but it doesn't. But that's okay because he's so dynamic, so quick around the stoppages. And I think Essendon would be quite pleased with the form of Ridley, an unheralded defender. I thought he played well. Hooker's comeback was quite good. Um, yeah. I did see a piece of play that I really disliked today, Rowan. I want to mention it. I thought what Redmond uh, was it. Was it from Aaron? Oh, I not, thought what, not from Aaron Francis. No, I, I thought what Redmond did to um, Josh Kennedy was oh, yeah. untoward and unacceptable. And as soon as it happened, I thought, "What? He's come in like a wrestler." Except in wrestling, it's fake. Josh Kennedy was beautifully tackled and on the ground, and he copped some nasty treatment there. And uh, that might have to be looked at. But all in all, I thought Essendon were very good value. Yeah, no, uh, important win for them. And uh, finally, off to a decent start at the season. Well, after two games anyway. And round two wrapped up at Marvel Stadium with a fantastic win by your Saints finding over arguably the most disappointing team in the competition thus far. The Western Bulldogs, big win to St Kilda, 14-4, good kicking, 88, gave them a, what is that, a 39-point win over a pretty crappy Bulldogs outfit, 7-7-49. So a 39-point defeat to the Doggies to go hand-in-hand with their 52-point flogging against Collingwood back in round one. Bulldogs probably had the better of things early, didn't they, but didn't put it on the board 2-4 a quarter time. But St Kilda from midway through the first quarter, just took over. And I thought they were too quick. 
Um, I thought their recruits all did their stuff. Uh, but look, I'll let you pick it up. You'd be justifiably excited about what you saw. Yeah, when you when you see so much crisp football played by a team that really, on paper, read well, but played well, you would tend to get excited. There's going to be a lot said about Dan Butler. He was fantastic. Uh, he did one piece of roving off the pack that was just sublime. It would have been a goal, but it was marked online by Billings, and he was great. Brad Hill, just that, that class. Zach Jones, maybe the best of all of those on-ballers recruited by St Kilda. He was fast. 28, 28 disposal. Well, there you go, and he was very quick out of the centre. And, well, Hanabry recruited the year before, impressive. Max King, quite a target. He'd be very the club would be very pleased with his game. But you know, there's a player of all the St Kilda recruits who played, and Dougal Howard played well. He was uh, one of the key defenders, along with Carlisle, who put any hope of Bulldogs to the sword by thrashing Norton and Bruce. When they talk about who the best St Kilda players were and they go through the recruits, I bet you that there's one player that is overlooked or not mentioned as effusively as, say, Zach Jones or Butler. But he was the best of the lot. Best on ground for mine was Paddy Ryder. Now, his ruck work was imperious from the bounce at the start of the game to the end of the game. He dominated Tim English, and I fear that predictions of Tom English's great, Tim English's greatness may be premature. Uh, much was said... Well, he needs support. He needs, he needs decent support. Yeah, well, ruckmen have to ruck when they ruck. You've got no support. It's a pretty raw, it's a pretty simple equation when you're in the ruck. No one's allowed to come in third. It's you versus the other ruckman. Yes, he needs some backup, no question. But when rucking this year, he has been he has been annihilated twice. Now, Grundy got the plaudits round one. Paddy deserves him in round two. He was superb. There's some problems for the doggies, but one problem they don't have is the return of Lin Jong. So well done to him after a long time off. I thought he played really well. And your boy from East Malvern was clearly their best Bailey player. Smith. Was clearly their East best. East Malvern's finest mullet. Well, you know, two young players, I thought, if you take Ryder out of the equation, starred for their teams. And that was, of course, your Bailey Smith for the Bulldogs and Hunter Clark for St Kilda. So, uh, at, what, at what point do we start ringing the alarm bells about the doggies? Because they, they did look pretty good in pre-season. They finished off last season quite well. Everyone, I think, was jumping on. But they have absolutely stunk it up now and they're opening two games. Yeah, they are really a... It appears to be a confidence team. They started off well against the Saints. It was a very... It was a, it was a high-speed impressive, high-powered start to the game, wasn't it? And they did miss some set shots. I think their real problem is, unfortunately, that, well, I, I really like Josh Bruce. They were so desperate to get a foil for Norton. At the moment, that has come up absolute duck eggs. Do they look back to Shacky? I don't know, because uh, you can't even win at the drop of the ball if you're getting outmarked and out pointed in the air defensively and that hasn't worked out for them and also Lockie Hunter saga is really a kick in the teeth of them because he's he's a rare talent isn't he 
Oh yeah, um, no, no, it couldn't have happened at a, a worse time, really. And uh, you, I mean, Bontempelli shouldn't be having to carry the leadership can, but it sort of looked a bit like that, didn't it? I think some of their other senior players aren't necessarily imposing types of personalities, and that is a potential issue for them as well. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, McCray and Dunkley played well, but I, I agree. I don't think they're um, vociferous leaders, are they? No, no, and I think uh, Jack McRae certainly, even by his own admission, puts himself in that category too. So that's that's an area that would be causing them or Coach Luke Beveridge a fair bit of concern. All right, there is round two done and dusted. Isn't it great to have nine games of footy to talk about once again? And hopefully we will have the same every week, uninterrupted right through until, what, the end of September will be the end of the home and away rounds this year. But... Footy's back, and it's great to be talking about it. I reckon right now, finally, we should talk about some off-field stuff. Life Hacks. Building a better world. All right, Finey, these are life hacks, but uh, I'm going to keep the football theme going just a little bit longer as a life hack. And it just occurred to me, uh, you do hear a lot of crazy pre-season predictions. But one of the craziest, I thought, came after the AFL announced, well, what was it, only the day before round one, that we were going to have shortened quarters of 16 and a half minutes. And for some reason, a whole lot of people seem to think that this would actually give us higher scoring, more attacking games. Now, um, I guess the uh, rationale being that there would be less fatigue and, and less time to... Um, clog up the back lines and, and play keepings off and see out a quarter. It would be more ballistic football. Well, I think it's fair to say we haven't seen much of that in the first two rounds. So I did a, a little bit of uh, stock taking. And after two rounds, finally, the average points per team per game is coming in at 67. Um, and obviously it's going to be lower than last year. But uh, when you consider last year was 80 points, it's more than two goals per game down on last year. So I reckon if you uh, did a, what's the equation you need to do to make it pro rata, I reckon 67 points would be less than 80 points per year uh, per team last year, which was the lowest points per team per game average since 1967. So we're seeing some absolute scrap fests. And uh, look, there's been some good games. I'm not trying to be too crotchety. But, boy, there's been some shockers in the first two rounds. Okay, hopefully it's a question of the cobwebs being ironed out. But, uh, boy, I hope we see overall some better footy than we've seen in uh, from some sides in the opening two rounds. That's my first one. Okay. My first one is a fairly serious matter, and we know that uh, the world has been uh, had their conscience pricked, or at least certainly the Western world, with the death of George Floyd and Black Lives Matter movement right around the world. And here in Australia, of course, uh, the Indigenous community has been the centre of uh, a very similar movement. And it is Black Lives Matter, but focusing on deaths in custody, etc. And this was brought sharply into focus very early in the piece by the arrest of a... Aboriginal youth in Sydney where he had his feet swept from underneath him and face planted into the concrete by an officer. Now, I was aghast at the reaction 
to that incident by the Sydney Commissioner for Police and also the uh, Minister in Charge of Police in New South Wales. The Commissioner for Police was interviewed on radio and he said, look, the officer involved had been forced for three and a half years. He'd had no blemishes on his record. So uh, you could put it down to a bad day. That is just the most outrageous comment publicly to make and to not be forced to apologise for or to resign over. Why? Because he makes it seem exceptional that after three and a half years you would have an unblemished record, as though that is something to be held up as a defence to the indefensible. Mate, he's a policeman. He should have an unblemished record for his entire career. And put it down to a bad day, you know what he should put it down to? He should put it down to a very lucky day because that kid hit his head on the concrete. And police around Australia have run the coward punch campaign because of the dangers of being knocked out and hitting your head on concrete and dying. So that officer should be thanking his lucky stars that that young Indigenous boy was able to walk away from that and not put in a coma or worse, still died. Not a bad day, but a very good day for that officer that he himself wouldn't spend many years behind bars. He should not spend a long time. He should not be in the uniform and back on the streets for a long time until counselling and retraining proves him to be worthy of it. And as for the police minister, he again went on the news and again echoed those sentiments. I was shocked. I was shocked by the incident, but not half as shocked as I was by the reaction of two senior people in New South Wales who both had time to think about it. I'm ashamed on behalf of Australians who aren't Indigenous. Okay, no, well said. Uh, the New South Wales Police Minister certainly has form in silly comments and actions. This is the same man who I think was overseas, wasn't he, when the, the Ruby Princess thing happened? Uh, oh, no, when the bushfires happened, sorry. And also the man who authorised uh, basically the uh, strip searching of underage girls at a rock concert. So, uh, yeah, not covering themselves in glory at the moment, New South Wales Police. All right, uh, my second one. It's a bit of a well-worn theme, this. I reckon you've done this one before, Finey. I'm having a go this time. Driving. The standard of driving on Melbourne's roads is getting to new lows to the effect that today, whilst, well, I wasn't driving. I'm actually not allowed to drive at the moment. No, I didn't lose my licence. It's because of a medical episode I had the other week. But... um, my partner, Abby, was driving around the supermarket car park. We were attempting to get out and we had, in the space of a 50-metre drive, nearly three accidents caused by people simply charging out of car park spots, not observing giveaway signs, uh, not looking where they were going, driving too fast. I mean, I don't know if the whole COVID lockdown thing has made everyone a bit tetchy and a bit too overzealous getting back on the roads, but uh, it's not the first time in the last couple of weeks I've had some close shaves. So just as I used to say in Hill Street Blues, Fonny, take it easy out there. It's not a race. You can get to where you're going and particularly out of a supermarket car park. Come on, just spend a couple of hundred bucks on the week's food. Don't blow it all on a stupid and unnecessary car crash. Slow down, everyone, and observe the road rules. Okay, your second. 
Well, the Whiff and I, last weekend, went out to a restaurant for the first time in three months or however long it's been since we've been allowed to go to restaurants. And you know what? It was a restaurant. It was great to go out, get away from the kids, have a night out together. But it wasn't the same because obviously only 20 people allowed in the restaurant was very strange. Restaurants to try and make a profit or at least not make a howling loss under those conditions are offering set menus at pretty exorbitant prices. Just about everywhere I checked, you know, was doing pretty pricey set menus with... We understand, you know, it's, it was almost, it felt like it was almost half a donation, the money we were paying, to keep them afloat. It's not my job to keep them afloat. They've got JobKeeper and other things to keep them afloat. No one's keeping me bloody afloat. So I, I look forward to when restaurants really go back to being their true selves because what we have now is a pale imitation. That's my second. Which restaurant was it? Oh, it's a great restaurant. It's called 38 Chairs. It's a small Italian restaurant off Chapel Street. And the food was still very good, but, you know, you were starved of choices and we've been there where the service is expansive and fun and you spend a night there and you have cocktails and this and that. And because of time constraints and the need to have more than one sitting, it was, you know, wham, bam, eat your spaghetti, ma'am, and piss off. Okay, uh, my final one. And... Uh, time to uh, give everyone a nice little feel-good story. Uh, well, not little. Uh, this is a sizable story. But, uh, I mean, we all know how shocking a year it's been. So many terrible things have happened to so many people um, that when you do get a good news story, you can't help but just celebrate. And that's how not only I, but I think so many people felt last Wednesday after the 14-year-old autistic boy, William Callahan who was lost up on Mount Disappointment, for, spent two nights uh, on his own in freezing cold up on top of Mount Disappointment, was rescued. Um, it was a great story. I think we all feared the worst. And anyone who's got kids knows the absolute terror you feel yourself when you see someone else in this position, the poor parents. And in this case, you're talking about uh, three parents, really. The, uh, the boy's natural father with whom... He went out and got lost from while they were hiking. Uh, his stepfather um, and his mum, uh, his mum Penny Callahan, his stepfather Nathan Ezard, and uh, a great little side story too about the, I guess, friendship between the stepfather and William's natural father and how they were consoling each other while the search was going on. And, and let's face it, uh, in modern life, you know, there are a lot of families where there are more than the two natural parents of the child involved. So uh, I, I, you know, I thought that was very heartwarming. And then when the boy was found and the rescuer who found him, Ben Gibbs, the way he told the story about finding him and said he was just standing there looking angelic and he gave him some chocolate and he was talking to him about Thomas the Tank Engine because he's, he's pretty uncommunicative, uh, apparently, William. And uh, when I heard the news and when I saw the, video, the first videos and stuff, I couldn't help it. I just um, cried my little heart out finally through sheer joy and emotion. Um, he's a beautiful little kid who has his struggles in life and his parents love him dearly. And um, it was just such a great result to see how that ended up. And uh, I'm getting a little emotional talking about it now. Kids are so precious. And that was just a beautiful moment. And thank God 
it ended well and from, you know well done to everyone involved the parents to the rescue team to the police um you're wonderful and uh a great story yeah you know the radio was on in the car uh when the when the news came through that he had been found safe and well but i wasn't really focusing on the news i was just driving along and it was sort of background noise and i heard uh, mount disappointment just a couple of bits and pieces and um i just froze as i was driving i, I thought oh my god what's happened i really f- was fearful of the worst and it was it, i'm telling you uh, i'm not saying it was like winning tatsalotto because i never won bloody tatsalotto it was like winning a, a final by a point um i, I really i i'm i'm glad that it touched you touched you the way it did because i, I just felt so relieved and overjoyed when i heard the news and that just shows how and i was sort of wondering you know if there was an effort to call every victorian like ten thousand people to look for him i would have gone up there but these things can get unwieldy you know if you're the parent wouldn't you want everybody looking at for him over every square inch but apparently that can't be done because it just causes more problems and it solves but yeah I i was delighted so i'm going to make that my third one as well because that's how how good i felt about it uh, anything else I say would be anything else I say would be um, would be irrelevant, I think, and superfluous. Well, I'm sure um, he's been spoiled rotten since he's been home, and uh, some macas apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the first thing he asked for: some hot and salty food. Um, so uh, <laughs> good on good on you, William, and uh, good on you, everyone involved. All right, nice way to finish life hacks this week, Finey. Uh, I think we should finish off in more typical fashion, though, by getting a little bit angry and uh, having a good old rant. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, Fonny, we've been ranting about uh, various topics oh, for a long time now, since the end of last season, basically, with the exception of one week. But we're back on fertile ground now because we've got a full round of footy and that leaves no shortage of various irritations, particularly for the pair of us. So that's where I'm going for my rant, and I'd like you to count me in. One, two, it's all up to you. I'm pissed off with fake crowd noise, Finey. Look, I wasn't expecting a perfect simulation of every single member of an actual AFL game crowd, but I did expect to hear something from the Channel 7 audio department at least vaguely resembling human beings. I know I'm in the minority here. Most people seem to think that at least some noise in the round two games was better than none. But I'd argue it really depends what sort of noise. I've listened to a lot of loud music over the years, so maybe my hearing is going. But I'll be buggered if what I was hearing during the past weekend's game sounded in any way like a footy crowd. All I could hear was waves breaking on the shore of a beach and not even the sweeping coastline of an ocean with some 10-foot bangers. This was more like some little ripples blowing gently into the sand and over the used syringes and condoms at St Kilda. I've said it before, you've had two months to get this stuff ready, networks. You've got a whole bank of games, every team playing every other team, at every venue and in front of every different size crowd and a separate audio track for all of them. Don't you just take someone off the task of scouring the globe for reality show concepts to rip off for a few weeks? send them down to the digital library and get the right effects for every conceivable game situation. 
This sounded more to me like they'd rounded up the interns and sent them with a pissy old tape recorder down to a variety of bayside beaches instead. St Kilda, Elwood, Brighton, Sandringham, Frankston, maybe Shoreham for a bit of variety. I'm not sure who Channel 7 were using to drop in the background noise either, but I'm not convinced it was someone who'd seen a decent amount of footy. More like the guy from the 21st century dance club in Frankston at about 3am after too many happy pills. Take the Collingwood-Richmond draw, for example. Did you hear the crowd, in inverted commas, explode in delight finding after the two sides finished with scores level? Interesting reaction to a draw, that one. Certainly not the reaction that has been present at any other draw I've witnessed. Then we couldn't even get consistency of volume of pissy-sounding fake crowds. Thursday night, it was barely a murmur. Suddenly, it's along on Friday. The decibel meter went up more than a few cogs. But 21st century dance club DJ was clearly doing a double shift or by now completely off his chops or both. Who knows? But I did know the crowd noises were completely out of sync with the action. You've never heard routine handballs greeted with such thunderous cheers finding. The futility of the exercise was really driven home when on Saturday night at the showdown, we actually had a real crowd making real noise. Just a couple of thousand people were able to generate terrific atmosphere. More importantly, they knew how to cheer in the right places. And it made the other stuff, frankly, sound even more stupid. I think it's time we gave up on the fake noise, Finey. It doesn't work. It actually blocks out pretty interesting dialogue between players and umpires, and that's when the commentators aren't babbling over the top of them. And listen, guys, if you do have to persist, along with that mega wall fan thing that doesn't actually allow you to see fans any larger than ants, I'd give away the waves and just use the audio from some of the Black Lives Matter protests going on in the US. One, they at least involve real people, and two, at least there's some bloody passion involved. Yeah, you don't like those. Uh, you don't like it, pardon me. You didn't like it from the get go. Was it just me? It didn't sound like a crowd. You know what? By the end of the round, I would say we're better off with it than without it. It's far from perfect. And I do. And there are certain times where the crowd, when you're watching the game on TV, the crowd alerts you to things before you see it. It's just the way football is watched. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because we can't see the whole picture. Sometimes the crowd excitement or crescendo is quite telling. So I found myself on a couple of occasions with the crowd crescendo looking for something that simply never occurred because, as you said, it was a it was a stacks on the mill or a ball up. By the way, very quickly before you do your rant, I did mention commentators talking over the top. Devin Smith's goal today in the first quarter just scraped in inside the goalpost. The goal umpire said to the field umpire when they called for the review, I thought it was a goal. Well, the commentators then spent the next two minutes saying, did he signal a goal or a point? Well, if you stopped talking for two seconds, you would have heard him call it. All right, you're rant. I'm counting you in. Three, two, one. Rant. Well done, Rowan, on your rant, in which you took the corpses of, well, you killed off Channel 7 and Fox Football's coverage of football because of the crowd noises, and you've handed me the corpse to dismember, because dismember I shall. Much was made of uh, the new Fox Air, a new angle at which to watch football. And even though it's something that's been around cricket and the Olympic Games since, uh, God, Ben Johnson won in 88. You know, it's not. It's hardly, uh, view from above is hardly unique. But actually, I thought it worked okay. I didn't mind it. It's the sort of thing we normally see during grand finals. But don't let that paper over 
some of the absolute mortal sins that are being committed by producers responsible for bringing football to our screens. For people who don't know how it works, there will be a producer faced with a number of shots and that producer has to decide which shot goes to air, which angle is taken and which view or which image is shown, say, during a break or after a goal and also what replays are played. And to say that the producers who gave us football this weekend may have forgotten their job would be a polite way of saying they don't effing know it in the first place. The obsession, and I want somebody to make this clear to anybody who produces football, the obsession with showing somebody taking a set shot from behind the goals is passe, immature, and the absolute domain of somebody who doesn't watch football or know football. Unless that person is dead in front, the shot from behind the goal because of parallax errors or two dimensions is very confusing. It is very hard to tell if the ball is going through the point or the goals until it's signalled. Whereas they are sacrificing, in many cases, the shot from directly behind the person kicking the ball. The perfect shot at lighting up whether it's a goal or not. 90% of shots shown today on Fox Football were from behind the goal. Stop doing it. It's the inferior angle, you anuses. Replays. Uh, do you agree with that? I do. I couldn't agree more. Uh, plus the close-up of a guy who's in the act of kicking for goal, so you can't actually see the result of the kick. There, uh, yeah, well. We also had quite a bit of an obsession with replays today thinking that giving us the live play in a tiny box in the corner might suffice. Sometimes not even doing that. I can tell you there were many times this weekend when replays were being shown and the ball was coming and the live camera came back after the play had recommenced from a generally from a bounce or a throw-in. That's just poor television production. And the cherry on top of the cake was something very odd at today's St Kilda versus Western Bulldogs game. And that is that many ruck contests had the two ruckmen going for the ball in the centre of the ground and then sort of a split second of loss of coverage and, I don't know, and then continuing live. Just this momentary, very strange absence of live action. And if you added it all up, I reckon it, came to about 25 seconds of football. So we're owed. What happened in that 25 seconds? Thank God it wasn't a close game because if I was a doggy supporter, I'd be dragging everybody back. Well, no fans. To Marvel to play out the 25 seconds that got lost on some very strange coverage this weekend. Was that the same rant, or did you stop for a halftime break there, or what? I couldn't, I couldn't work out. I, was, I thought you'd finished. No, well, I was just asking you whether you agreed about that no, angle no. behind oh, the goal. okay, sorry. Yeah, no, well, I'm glad I could contribute to your rant as well. No, I couldn't agree more. I've, and I've got uh, a mini think, rant for 30 seconds, just a mini rant. Uh, it better be. Yep, this is my mini rant. Everybody hates the short quarters, but I'm warning you, Gil, it won't be till we play the finals and then a grand final with less, with short quarters, that you realise how stupid a move it would be. I would dread to think a grand final is played with 16 and a half minute quarters. Think about it. All right. No, good mini rant. Like that one. Okay, good ranting form from you. Uh, we're all ranted out here. That is our first or uh, second review footyology podcast of the year. Before we go, finally, let's thank those wonderful sponsors, sponsors of ours once more. 
I don't need to tell you where the best burger in Melbourne is. It's 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. The sign says Andrew's Hamburgers. It's a small shop, I guarantee you. It'll be fairly busy when you get there, but the wait won't be intolerable, and the food will be sublime. Andrew's Hamburgers, 81 years of simply serving up Melbourne's best burger. And if you want a beautiful house, rebuild or renovation, and these might be exactly what you need to capitalise on good land value, then think West Point Properties and Nick Spartels. Just go to Google and put in West Point Properties. Well done. Um, thanks, everyone. And uh, good news, footyology fans. This is the first now of two podcasts per week. Yes, this is our review edition. You can hear our preview edition which will be recorded on a Thursday morning. We've got Footyology Final Siren, our Twitter live stream happening after every Thursday and Friday night game. I'll be doing at least two games on a Saturday and Sunday as Footyology match dispatches, video match reports. And please, please, if you're hearing this, support us at our Patreon page, where for a small monthly donation of five US dollars, you can make sure that we can put food on the table for our desperate families. And, and can uh, I just add one thing? Yes. For all the footy fans out there that are sick of the same voices and faces on mainstream media, get onto footyology and become sick of our voices and faces. Oh, it's not just us now. We've got Shane Hope. We've got Ronnie Werner. We have... Elliot Cartledge, a, uh, a very good, uh, glad to have Elliot on board. He's a fine sports writer and has been for a long time, all doing weekly columns. And you too, Mark Fine, and I hope you'll be filing suitably early tomorrow. You can read Finding stuff as well on a Tuesday for a very small monthly fee of $5. US Okay, there's enough plugs. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope your team won. I hope you enjoyed the return of the footy. We certainly did. We'll see you on Thursday. 